Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. In this episode of Boss Files, a live CNN business conversation called The Table with Ford CEO Jim Hackett. It's a forum for transformative voices from different industries to discuss how disruption is affecting their industry at large. So one of the things we've instituted at Ford is a thing called Curious Minds, which means like the table, we will inv- invite the smartest people in the world to come in and tell us what they're doing yep. so that we can derive from that how we might use that capability. He's leading the iconic American company at a time when technology is disrupting the auto industry. Why he calls this the biggest shift in transportation since Henry Ford and the Model T. How autonomous vehicles will change the world. He's not worried about competition from the likes of Tesla. He says Ford has been disrupting the auto industry long before Elon Musk. I happen to compete with a rocket scientist who's really smart, and I respect that about him. What he's learned from Amazon and the leadership of Jeff Bezos. Plus, his main goal for Ford, to be the most trusted company in the world. Also, the advice he gives to President Trump on the trade war with China. We travel to Detroit to sit down for our very first CNN Business live conversation called The Table with Ford CEO Jim Hackett. Let me bring up to the stage in just a moment Jim Hackett, the Ford president and CEO. Uh, just to give you a little bit of background, Ford has the most hourly workers of any U.S. automaker. They build the most vehicles of any U.S. automaker right here in America. Uh, Bill Ford who asked Jim Hackett to take this job, and Hackett said, I don't know, let me think about it. The only person I've ever heard to think about a CEO job before he took it. He calls him a visionary and a cultural change agent. Many people who work for Jim call him a provocateur, someone who really makes us think very, very deeply. So please welcome Jim Hackett. Thank you, take a seat. Good afternoon, everyone. We're glad that you are here. Um, So let me begin with this. Let's start back in 2008. This was just before, just at the beginning of the financial crisis. I was a cub reporter at CNN. I was about 12 years old. Uh, Jeff Zucker was yet to be our fearless leader. You were the CEO of a different Michigan company, and you said, "It, it is a perversity that when you see something changing, you think it's a flash and a temporary moment. The system that is most dominant believes its virtues will keep it from being overtaken. That was 2008, but how relevant it is today, which you call this moment the biggest shift in in transformation and transportation since Henry Ford, 116 years ago. You write letters to your employees every two weeks call it the huddle. So what are you writing them now about this moment and how Ford is going to get it right? The the description that you uh, aptly caught, which I appreciate, because it's hard to imagine yourself in the center of an S-curve. An S-curve is a place 
where something's really prospering mm -hmm. because of its advantage and its design, and it's about to be disrupted. So the perversity is in that S-curve that the next winner is not going to use the same virtues that made the previous incumbent win. So I, I tell a story, the Pony Express gets taken over by the railroad. The railroad gets taken over by the U.S. Post Office. Sure. So here's a question. Imagine you and I are at the board meeting of the Pony Express and we go, hey, to stay in business, we got to give up the Pony. That wouldn't have gone over very well. No. And it's hard, it's easy to see the comic kind of book version of that, but when you're in a business like Ford or Steelcase, which I've run before, they're so successful that they can't imagine that that ever changes. Well, look, the, the heads of Lyft and Uber have not been shy about saying they don't want any of us to own cars. So if they're right, they're smart guys, as you are, I've met all of them, um, what does that mean for you? Will, will Ford be selling cars and trucks in 20 years? Will you be selling rides? No, absolutely we will be selling cars and trucks and other kinds of products because the future disruption is not coming from rides. We already have them today. We already have rides today, so the disruption's different that's coming. Wait, the future disruption is not coming from rides? No, because... So is Lyft wrong? Is Uber wrong? Well, I mean, if we just play the game of the way the natural systems evolve, the notion of nature giving up a virtue for something that's equal doesn't happen. It, it, it won't evolve because it's just staying equal. So the notion that a human can get from point A to point B, they can today. The key, and there's, there's power in the Uber and the Lyft, and Didi's the Chinese version of that, in that they can use autonomy to make the cost of taxis go down, mm -hmm. but so can your teenage daughter have a better, better chance of not being in a bad accident having and owning a vehicle that has all that intelligence. So let me play this out a little more. Ford earlier this spring did something very cool. You guys have a prototype robot. I don't, I forget what the nickname is for, but it, like, it got out of an autonomous vehicle and walked up some steps yeah. and delivered a package in front of someone's door. Yeah. And you have said it's a mistake to think we're competing against the usual players like GM, etc. And you have asked, are we competing against Amazon? Well, that question was answered for me watching that robot walk up those steps with that package. So, are you taking on Amazon? Well, again, because we started with the theory, the notion of the most fit models is what uh, surprises the incumbent. So, Amazon's a very fit model for movement of goods. By the way, uh, I think of my lovely bride of 43 years. She loves the same-day delivery, you know? Yeah and it's disrupted retail like unbelievably. But because they've learned how to do that, they've learned how to make networks and communication and all these other things work that could change transportation as much as Didi and Uber uh, think about. So, I'm super optimistic about our ability, because we're conscious of this, is to design that new future. So Bezos, Jeff Bezos lives in the future. That's what he says. We're, we're working on an Amazon documentary that's airing in just a few weeks, and he talks about living two to three years in the future. And you, Jim, talked a lot about this 80-20 problem. Yeah. That executives make the mistake of spending 80% of their time you know, fixing the 20% problem and the thing, the now and not the future. So where's your head? Are you in Bezos mode? I, well, that's... 
Is Bezos are you, are you in Jim Hackett mode? It, the net worth is different between the two. Um, Just slightly. But I, I've known him since he started the company. I, I was a Tedster from, the, from day one, and he was too. He wrote six of us and asked us what books were we reading before he started Amazon. Because, really? Yeah, because he wanted to develop the algorithm to predict the next book. Oh. So I've, I've witnessed an amazing uh, business leader and visionary. But here's the thing. I was in, I got to tell you this story quickly, but I was in the airport in Shanghai once stuck, coming back from a business trip. And you know how they have the clocks on the wall that tell you the time around the world? Yes. Why, why are those there? It's because most of us didn't work across time zones. And so they wanted to raise your consciousness. And I thought, my father was a veterinarian and had, he, he, in central Ohio. He never thought what time it is in China. But I think about it every day. You do? Yeah. Because I'm thinking about connections back and forth. So I don't need those clocks to tell me that. But what I do need, and I think what every CEO needs, is what Jeff was hinting which is can you think about your job in different phases in parallel? So I invented what's called the now, near, and far clock. And the notion is that in parallel, you're thinking about business issues now. We can make the far to make it simpler. And then you have to agree what makes the step in, in other than just time. Mm -hmm. And one example is Moore's Law means that in five years, if I put something in a car that costs $1,000, in five years, it's one-tenth that. It's only 100. And it's 10 times more powerful. You go five more years, $1,000 became, in 10 years, $10. Mm -hmm. So you, when you're doing the design of things, you go, gosh, a customer would never want this because it's too expensive. Yeah. It's actually going to be affordable before they know it. So you, ha you have to be thinking about that affect as you're doing design in well, the future. Especially, by the way, when you have to answer to Wall Street every quarter. Well, that's the other end of the clock. That's the now clock. Right, but they beat you guys up if you don't hit quarterly numbers, and yet you're so much of a good executive's brain has to be years, has to be year, years ahead. One thing that you guys are doing right now, I don't know if anyone saw this, but you should look it up if you haven't. So you guys are working on an electric F-150. And there's this great video that just came out of the truck actually pulling a freight train. A million pounds. I wonder if you wanted Elon Musk to see that, yeah. just maybe. Well, he said, um, he said he was working on a truck that could tow 300,000, so we thought, well. Just like a million. It's a million. And then we went above that, as you know. <laughs> so, Elon Musk, for his part, said, and I quote, there's a good chance that Ford doesn't make it in the next recession. Makes you smile, lights a fire, I'm sure. He's claiming their truck is going to be as powerful as yours, but it's going to drive like a Porsche 911. What tells you Tesla and Elon Musk won't win? Well, let, let's, let's balance that because it meets the criteria of what we talked at the beginning, which is there's a disruptor coming. I happen to compete with a rocket scientist who's really smart, and I respect that about him. Uh, and yet, he's competing with the ultimate disruptor in Henry Ford. So when you oh. go seven miles from here and you see the Rouge complex, Henry bet the company, he goes bankrupt, yep. because there's no industrial model in the world that has 100,000 people working in it. That one did. And he took what took 12 hours to build a vehicle before he built it, went down to 52 minutes. Today we build an F-150 every 53 seconds. Wow. So let's go back to the challenges of the disruptor. How well was their production system working? You know, how fast were they building cars? 
which is saying that fitness, as we were saying, is a, is a, a compendium of things that you have to get right. It's not just the technology in mm -hmm. this case. We have to have an industrial model. Ford's really good at this. Is, does he keep you up at night, Elon Musk? Well, I like to make the threat of disruption the, the boogeyman. And it can come from everywhere. Yeah. And, and so what I do, and, and, and think about it, and all of us in the, in the room here compete with all kinds of people. And there's one part of your brain that says, let's rationalize that it's not as good as it might be. So the railroad's really not going to interrupt the Pony Express. Look at our market share. Right. I go the other way and say, what's great about the way they're thinking about their products? And it's not just Amazon or Tesla. You know, we pick more fit ideas. So one of the things we've instituted at Ford is a thing called Curious Minds, which means, like the table, we will inv invite the smartest people in the world to come in and tell us what they're doing yep. so that we can derive from that how we might use that capability. So autonomous vehicles, you have said it's not a question of if they'll change the world, they will. It's a question of when they will change the world. And I'm really interested in when you actually think, Jim, that you will be sitting behind, or any of us will be sitting, um, I don't know if I should say behind the wheel or in the passenger seat of a fully self-driving car, a level four or five, something where you could pretty much take a nap. Well, we're testing them now. But you when know. will I drive my when, kids when, in Brooklyn? Well, in let, so let's frame that. So the, the way that, and it's not a dodge at all, it's a way to think about the markets are on one axis and the technology's mm -hmm. on another. So the technology in this world never existed uh, before these last three years. And I, if we had time, I'd explain what changed. It has to do with the way machine learning. Of course, AI. Well, it, and it got better. Yeah. The idea that a computer would hear, I left my heart in San Francisco, would think it fell out of your chest. But now they can actually determine sure. that you mean it in a context. Yep. The technology at context for the markets that let a vehicle start here and go anywhere in the United States is not not there yet uh, but it's there so that we could go anywhere in detroit but it's getting there faster you're saying because machine learning is yeah, getting faster and, as it gets smarter that's right and so there's a variation of it that lets us put it in defined or geofenced areas mm -hmm. and ford has picked deliberately the hardest we call them the black diamond cities so if you've miami miami right? there's there's some aggressive drivers there fast and furious and 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 uh and so we put the autonomous vehicle to test. Now we're going to Washington, D.C. Because it gets smarter there. They get smarter. They learn faster. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. Now, to answer your question, yes. uh, in, in 2021, we were going to have vehicles assigned. But we have to get the government to come in parallel to let you take the safety drivers out. Yeah. We won't take them out, though, until they're safe. More from a live CNN Business conversation called The Table with Ford CEO Jim Hackett. It's a forum for transformative voices from different industries to discuss how disruption is affecting their industry at large after the break. So I, I'd like to talk about regulation. Yeah. And after that, I want to pull up on the screen. We asked all of you a question as you were coming in about whether you would ride in an autonomous vehicle. So let's pull that up and talk about that in a moment. But I um, look, watching, watching many members of Congress question big tech over the last year yeah. has made me realize how far we have to go in terms of an understanding of where we are with technology. Some of them get it, but a lot of them don't. Yeah. And I wonder how you feel about regulation, 
how you get the regulation you need and the rule, technically the actual rules of the road so that cars can drive without drivers and how do these cars make ethical decisions? If they are veering towards a mother crossing the street with her baby stroller yeah. and the option is hit that mom and baby or hit the elderly gentleman also crossing this way, can they ever decide that? Can they make moral and ethical decisions? Yeah. Well, let's, let's, let's parse that. Let's take the last part. Michael Sandel is one of my favorite professors at Harvard. He's written a book called Justice. He'd be great at the table. And, and it's one of the highest ranked class at Harvard because it's, it's about the philosophy of the, they call it the trolley car. Yes. That's the test that you just talked about. And so he examines in this book kind of the merits of how humans have to reason through choices. So we had to do this in medicine, for example, you know, with the Hippocratic Oath. But your first, your first question had to deal with the notion of, you know, as this thing evolves and trust has to uh, appear, I had to frame in my mind, I think CEOs that I saw flash on the screen, I know all of them, you have to say, what are you going to be willing to tolerate? And here's, here's three things. Yeah. Technology for me is one of these three cases, and I think it's the third. The first is it's magic, and we can't live without it. But look what happened to us as technology improved in our lives. We all got fatter. So hedonism could be a consequence of too much technology. That's a bad case. The second one is because we fear it, imagine legislation or religions that say, let's get rid of it. Well, that says it's evil, and that's not right because it, it can save lives in the case of autonomy. The third case, the one I'm after, mm -hmm. is it can unlock the promise of humanity. In other words, in Congress, they should be arguing, it's not about the technology, it's about the humans. How do we use this capability? We have a neighborhood in Columbus called the Linden neighborhood that the mayor said, if you can help me get these folks to work, they can now compete in the job market. Yeah. That was the city that won the uh, Department of Transportation Future of Traffic uh, Mobility uh, Challenge. So, gosh, I'm really motivated by that. God bless my mom, she had Alzheimer's, and all the brothers, I three brothers, we all lived all over the world. She had, to, she had this tremendous stress about who was going to get her to the doctor to see her appointments. This is where these kinds of technologies are incredible. You know, they're going to solve problems. And Bill Ford, uh, you know, has been kind of a, a, a beacon in the darkness about the environment. He yes. was way ahead of others. Oh, he, he's been talking about the environment since they since he started at Ford. Yeah. And I think the board didn't want to bring him on because he was like too green. Well, and I was over at Steelcase, and he was my hero because I said, "There's a guy that understands that you can design an industrial company to meet the environment," which we did at Steelcase yeah. and Ford. Yeah. But he also sees this in the human promise of autonomy. And guess mm -hmm. what? Henry Ford said that he wanted to open the highways to all mankind. The car for him was a human play. And that's what mm -hmm. it is for, for Bill and I. And I wonder what Henry Ford would think of these numbers. Would you I ride see him, but you tell in me. an autonomous vehicle now, 75% yes. I'm surprised by that. Well, 20, you're in Detroit. 25% no. Okay, fair yeah. enough. No where I'm you with, are. Well, I always ask the question, Poppy, and I say the women don't lie, and so they'll say no. I'm no. I'm a no. I know, I and, and you're more what I, serve, what I find in my own surveys. So guess what? The rubric here is how do we create trust so that you 
you go, gosh, I trust that Ford will do this. I mean, you'll get on an airplane, right? And the door's closed and you're way up high and you know those things, they're safer than they've ever Certain been. Certain airplanes. I'm probably the only person in this room who picks a commercial flight over a private jet any day. And it's Because I trust Delta. But but on the trust point, you have said- Ed's gonna like that. Okay, you let him know. Have him come to the table, okay? Yeah, I will. All right, they're so you have said, that one of your two main goals at Ford leading this company is to be the most trusted company in the world. And when I read that, I paused because I just thought about the moment we're in and this moment where I think there is an erosion of trust in institutions, in government. So why did that become this sort of central focus point for you? That if you can get everyone to trust Ford, then you win in the long run. Well, and we did this two years ago before some of these what are going to become classic failures happen, right? I think I, I got near it with the, when, when this is my second family controlled business. Families have a longer arc and we have, we have family owners out here. They look, they, they care about the shareholder return. They care about making money, but their purpose, they're purpose driven and that's it. We're in service of somebody else in these jobs, not ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so in service of humans, what is it they care most about? And guess what? When you're getting in something that, well, I'll tell you, one of my friends is Danny Hillis, who is the Imagineering guy at Disney and father of parallel computing. He said, imagine you're in Mars and you come down to Earth and you meet Jim Hackett. And, you're, and that Martian's gonna help you with autonomy and you go, but let me explain the current model. You can drive this thing 80 miles an hour and while you're driving it, a vehicle comes at you at the same speed, 80 miles an hour, but don't worry, there's a yellow line that separates the two of them. Oh, God. You, you have to see the it. irony yeah. in that, of right? Course. Yes. So the future means that the intelligence of these vehicles are much more than an imaginary line. Um, it's the, the intelligence to see each other and yeah. to sense what's going to happen before it happens. So I'm going to earn your trust because it's going to be able to anticipate all the things that would have scared you. Let's talk a little bit about trade and tariffs because, of course, you made headlines about a year ago or in the fall saying that tariffs, the tariffs would cost four to a billion dollars. You were talking about steel and aluminum. Um, the president was writing, tweeting about China this morning. What advice, because you've gone to the White House before, you've been on some of these business councils, what advice would you give President Trump on trade when it comes to China? Because I believe you've said, like, we need to get this figured out quickly, we can't wait. Yeah, well, I wrote a huddle about this, and, I, and what I said is, is, this is as old as man, right? So when tribes had to trade rocks for, you know, food, how did you know those rocks were worth as much as the food was, right? And so they would argue about it. But what made it happen is a concept called equilibrium, where, the, where they believe the rocks were as valuable as the food. And I think the president's instincts have been right that we were out of equilibrium in, in, a, in a trading way. I think, he's, I think he's been right about that. And uh, my guess at the time when this started was that it would be settled rather quickly. I don't know what I had wrong in my guess, but I know that equilibrium is a really important thing for the economy. So if it goes on too long, uh -huh. you end up with people like me hedging then in terms of investment. So my, my pitch at the Business Roundtable and Jamie Dimon and others, we're, we're saying it's, you know, we've got to get to an agreement. It's okay that you, you started 
And it's okay that maybe you walk away here and there, but give yourself a deadline when you're trying to get this done. Okay. So not only are we in a beautifully diverse city of Detroit, but one of our Ford, Ford calls Dearborn home, which has one of the largest Muslim populations in, in the country, if not the largest. And the CEO of, of Siemens recently made headlines um, saying that he finds it depressing that the most important political office in the world is turning into the face of racism and exclusion. And you, sir, have said if you could have lunch with anyone ever, alive, living or dead, it would be Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. So I, I, I just wonder for you as a leader how important inclusivity is of all races, ethnicities, yeah. religions, especially in the face of some of the language we're hearing from the highest office in the land. Yeah. Well, I have to be really clear about this because this is, this is at the center of who I am and, and the kind of parents I was fortunate to have. Um, University of Michigan found itself in the center of a, one, a landmark case of on diversity. And so I got to lead an initiative with CEOs and, and uh, the attorneys, the chief legal counsels, and we got 150 CEOs to sign an amicus brief that went to Justice O'Connor. Mm -hmm. President Ford, by the way, in parallel had the heads of the uh, armed services write a parallel note. And she cited that these two letters changed her notion about the power of diversity. Mm. Like we cannot compete in, if we're not inclusive. So there's nothing more important. It's not just being in the center of a, a city that's really diverse. Uh, if I saw Martin Luther King, if I, had the, if I had the miracle happen that I could, I'd say, how did you walk in the mouth of the lion knowing that you, were, that you likely would lose your life? Yeah. I mean, can you imagine having that kind of inspiration? And here we are, I'm 64, and I grew up in the area when Martin Luther King guided us, and I think we're walking backwards, and I think that's not progress, right? So. We're walking backward as a nation. Yeah, that's... On civil, so, on civil rights. So you could poll the people in this room, and I would, I would just guess that 100% of them would say they don't want any of that to happen, because we live in a city here where we know the power of diversity. I work in a company uh, that cites this as one of the key things. Yeah. And I don't want you to think that I'm preachy, that it's, it's a pragmatic thing. We will not be fit to compete if, if we have uh, a monostructure of anything. I recently, just a few weeks ago, reread Dr. Martin Luther King's letter to those pastors from Birmingham jail. Yeah. Remember that? I do. And how he explained, you don't know what it's like to walk in my shoes. And yeah. I don't know what it's like to walk in the shoes yeah. of, of, of those who are diverse in this country, but I know this is their country too. Yeah. So let, let's wrap up with a discussion about Detroit. You have used the word soulful to describe this city. So Motown. It is. Yeah. And I began this conversation with a 2008 quote that was sort of the depths, the beginning of the depths. And here we are out of bankruptcy in a beautiful world-class hotel here yeah. in Detroit. CNN is about to host our debate tonight and tomorrow night in Detroit. What has been the biggest beacon of hope and light in Detroit, and what is the lesson that other cities should take from Detroit's revitalization? Well, and I, I gotta share to the audience that Dave Bing, who was mayor of Detroit, was serving on the Steelcase board 
when he when he became he had to resign as mayor. Um, so he's a good friend, and and so I got to see through his eyes the way he was thinking about what I call the design of the city. Yeah. And you you've seen these facts is that it once had three million people, and as as everything changed, it got pockmarked, yeah. and so services couldn't reach everybody. So, so big in the design. What's happened in the 10 years is we got a tremendous mayor, and he's worked on that. Yeah, and, Mayor and Duggan. Mayor Duggan and, and the community, and it is at the center of your first que the other question about diversity, the community took on the responsibility to remake its city. Yeah. And so that's a message that's played over and over in history. And what happens is momentum then starts to happen. So guess what? Ford is invested in the Michigan Central train station. I would like, I'd like to talk about that. If, yeah. if anyone here hasn't seen it, if you're not from Detroit, but it's yeah. amazing what you guys have done, taken over this iconic landmark in, in Detroit that really fell, fell to hard times and said that you are going to not just you know, make it look pretty, you are actually going to put the innovation inside of it for autonomous vehicles. Why that? Why not Silicon Valley? Well, first of all, I work for a patron saint of the city, and that's the Ford family, because they, they built Ford Field here before it was kind of popular. They decided to make an investment. Bill's sense of duty and commitment, uh, when I start talking about, Bill, we got to evolve the campus, so we're redoing the campus in Dearborn for 30,000 people. This is going to be one of the most extraordinary industrial sites in the world when we're done. It's going to take about eight years to complete the project. And this is an extension of it here in the Detroit. And we're using autonomy to actually knit the two together with Ann Arbor. So there'll be a continuous flow between University of Michigan, mm -hmm. Dearborn, and Detroit. Are you having success in keeping the smartest minds here on the tech front? Are you, you know, we saw sort of a, a, a flight of a lot of them from Wall Street, from the banks to Silicon Valley? Because it was cooler for them at the time to say that they worked yeah. for Facebook than one of the big banks. It was right after the crisis. I wonder if you are having success getting those people to come back to Detroit. You, you, Poppy, you'd be surprised. I got letters when I first started because I had some tentacles into the Silicon Valley because of the Steelcase owned a company called IDO, which mm -hmm. was really famous there. So I got letters. People said, I'm dying to get back to work on this question of autonomy because there's no bigger computer problem than that. And I'm from the Midwest, and now I have a project that aligns. Hmm. So we have a lot of people that have Michigan heritage. It's uh, university and uh, the city. So no, I would say to you that's not the, the issue. Now we're a global company, right? And this invention of autonomy is going on around the world. China's building a parallel model that they won't let our brains be that are in the vehicles here be used in the, the brains of the vehicle in China. So there's a race there, and we're invested in both of those countries. And Europe is, is probably going to lead the world in the adoption of electric vehicles, mm -hmm. which is why we've made the joint venture with Volkswagen. Right, which is a big deal for you guys. Huge in the sense that this is a form of fitness, which we started with is companies have a tendency to want to merge when they're trying to get synergies and 70% of those fail. <laughs> we, had a, we had a classic. I hate that word, synergy. It's such a corporate well, and, word. And 70% right? of them do. And <laughs> That's the, what they say. There was one in here in Detroit that failed. Yeah. So this is a new design. This is a way of saying, can we do projects together? Yes. 
where we don't have to we don't have to merge our human resource department. Right. We just are working on the design of uh, what let's we, help make each other smarter. Yeah, and and you're working on platform architectures that the customers will benefit from savings and speed, but they won't see a lot of it. So, before you were a car guy, you were a football guy. And you made perhaps the best hire of your life when you were interim athletics director at the University of Michigan. And you hired Jim Harbaugh and you poached him from the San Francisco 49ers. So, you know what a good leader is. And the rest is history, by the way, for the team. CNN tonight is holding a democratic debate. Yeah. What kind of head coach does America need right now so that this country achieves its full inclusive potential in the face of the competition from China that you're talking about? You know, these have been great questions. That's a really good one, by the way. I we have should, a great team. We should sneak that into the debate, by the way. I'll let, I'll you, let them know. I mean, give, give, give reverence to Jim Harbaugh, too, because he's, he's really one of the, and this gets in my answer, is one of the most uh, driven competitors with integrity and values that I've ever been around. So he isn't going to win by cheating. He's going to win by outworking and outthinking. So the, the hint here is if we, we, we end where we started, which is the design of any system is going to give rise to disruption. So Americans have to look at their system. They'll ask this question and say, have you gotten better or have you gotten worse? I want the question to be, is the system more competitive for its future over time? Mm -hmm. And so the next president that's going to work on infrastructure should not rebuild all the roads and bridges the way the old ones were built, right. the way Dwight Eisenhower imagined, that's how long ago it was, but more where the nature of these autonomous vehicles in the cloud and the modems in the car are all working and they need to communicate with your parking and uh, the places the vehicles will touch. Let's wire the world with 5G and these autonomous vehicles and now we're going to win again in the next era. The most important character trait for the next president, what is it? That's easy for me because I, I had a mentor who said this, you will never be a good leader if people can't trust you and they can't trust you if you don't really live with integrity. Now, no human's perfect, right? But you can make a commitment that say, I want to be the most trusted leader and therefore I have to operate with supreme integrity and that's, that's the, the model everyone should lead by, particularly if you're in service of others. And your best advice, you will be remembered for who you are, not what you do. Yeah. Thanks very much. Thank you, Poppy. Thank you. Thanks. Wonderful. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Boss Files. You can learn more about the new CNN Business series, The Table, on cnnbusiness.com. It's a forum for transformative voices from different industries to discuss how disruption is affecting their industry at large. As always, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Poppy Harlow CNN. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii.
Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 